Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. that stir us and move us, that get us worked up. Sometimes it makes us sad. Sometimes it makes us angry. We get happy about things, and those things come and go in our lives, right? The one constant is the grace and the love and the power, the truth, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that moves in and out of our lives like a rushing wind or flowing water and I, I just want to ask you this question as we, as we start a walk through the book of Colossians this year. What moves you? What moves you in your life? What motivates you? What stirs up the passion, the compassion in your life? What moves you? Colossians is this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, and he's, he's never even met them. But his love for them, his affection for them, has been stirring because of what Epaphras has been telling him about the church there at Colossae. And, and he starts this whole letter with, we pray for you and we think about you and we love you and we long to be with you and we get this incredible report of what God is doing in you from our friend Epaphras and they're moved by that. Paul in chains in prison is moved by that. And so as as we walk through the book of Colossians. We're going to do uh, chapter one for the next few weeks, take a little break, do some other things, and then come back Colossians two this summer, and then kind of spread it out over the year. And I hope, I hope you will enjoy that and be a part of that with us as we go. But what moves you? Well, Colossians one gives us some big indicators, some big benchmarks for being moved. Colossians 1, let's start with verse 9. We'll be in 9, uh, we'll be in 9 through 12 today, but let's, let's, let's look at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, heard what? Paul heard about what was happening in Colossae, but also he's saying, From the day we heard the story of Jesus Christ, from the day we heard what Christ's plan was for us and how it included you, from the day we heard from Epaphras that you were on the move, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding." He's moved 
by what God is doing in and for these people he's never met. But he's also moved by what Jesus Christ has done for them, what Jesus is doing in them, what Jesus is doing through them. He's moved. He's motivated by that. It keeps him going. It helps him hold on. What moves you? What Paul is communicating to these people he's never met is that we are moved by a devotion to God and to each other. And we see it alive in you. We just went through 40 days of spiritual quietness, fasting, solitude, but togetherness, walking through God's word, through prayer together. I was moved by that. It wasn't just the fasting where you take a step back from something or the things that you enjoy on this earth, and there's nothing wrong with those, but to take a step back from that and say, God, speak into a place where I have not let you speak in. And the devotionals that some of you wrote for us, you heard from God, and then God spoke through that into me, into you. It was a shared a blessing. The, the, the word here that, that we, we might use is, it was an ethos. A culture of shared belief. For a moment, we stepped out of our routine and stepped into what God was doing in somebody else's life. So when we hear from the people that are sharing these devotionals, we get to see and hear what God is doing in them, and it moves us. God, as I read this, clear a path for me to step into that joy and that depth and that knowledge of spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's moving. It's moving when we do that together. And so we did this 40 days and we didn't talk about it a whole lot because I heard from God say, just let it be. We'll come back and we'll grow in that and do that and it'll grow and spread and more people will get involved maybe and then we'll start hearing the stories of what God is doing in people's lives. But for now, let it be. And I was moved by that. I was moved by you, but more importantly, I was moved by what God is doing and what God wants to do at the river, in Panhandle, in the Panhandle, in Texas, in the United States, in America, and the rest of the world. God wants to do something very special. If you can't see that, then the veil is covering your spiritual eyes because God is on the move. Those waters tell a story. God is on the move in people's lives. And we get to be a witness to that. That is stirring for us. So, what is moving us? We must be moved, at least through these verses. We must be moved to devotion. We are moved to a devotion not only to God, but also to others, where we are devoted to one another. What does that mean? It means we stand up and we fight for one another. 
It means we surround one another in prayer and we get on our knees together and we beg God, do something healing, miraculous, freeing, heal the cancer, heal their hearts, save their marriage. Not just talking about things, but getting in the foxhole together and fighting for each other. It's devotion. Now, there, there are two things, two approaches to things and thoughts and ideas in this world. We have essential and we have non-essential. Essential meaning I can't live without this. Non-essential meaning I may not prefer it, but it, I don't need it to exist, right? Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He stepped in where you were a sinner, where you could not save yourself. He came to the cross. He died, was buried, rose from the grave, left earth to go back and prepare a place for you and me, and he will return again. Those things are essential. What you think about Baptism or what you think about women serving as pastors or what you think about the songs we sing, whether it should be hymns or other kinds of songs, those are non-essential things. But they divide the church in a way that is completely not of God. It was never his intention. And so if one person believes one thing to be true and they fight for that, it's okay for me to say, I don't see it the exact same way you do, but I love you and I'm for you and I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to stand by you and I'm going to see that your joy is made complete. It's unity in the body of Christ. We should be devoted to that. We should be devoted to the spreading of the gospel. And then we'll work all the other stuff out, right? This is what Paul is telling the church at Colossae. We have not stopped praying for you. We're committed to you. So that you may be filled with knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding. We owe it to each other to speak life and truth and joy and abundance in Jesus. We speak that into each other, not tear each other down because we believe a little differently than you do about something. You with me? <laughs> this is what Jesus Christ wants for us. This is what Jesus wants for the church. 1 John 3, 1, in fact, says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we might be Children of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we might get our way in the church we attend. It's ridiculous. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that they would offer something different for my teenager that they enjoy going to. Ridiculous. We have... We have pastors and people and staff and volunteers doing everything they know how to create an environment where Jesus is glorified, 
and people are reached and money is spent to raise the heavens. And we ought to all get on board with that and go, well, it's not exactly what I would do, but you know what? Somebody else heard from the Lord and I'm going to crawl in there and I'm going to do my part. (laughs) That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. Now, let me say a word about giving. And I know if you're a guest with us, we, we, don't all, we don't pass a plate. We don't talk about giving every week. But let me say this. Giving is not a duty. It is a delight. And this is why scripture says, give cheerfully. Why? Because we're being a part of what God is already doing. It's us stepping into the stream of God's moving spirit. Where God is moving, we give out of the abundance, not just when we have enough to tithe. We don't give when we have a little bit extra in our bank account this month, and so we're going to give to the church because maybe they can do something nice with it. That's not giving. That's not, what, that's not a biblical standard for us giving. We give because God is great and he has us alive and we have some food on our, it's not, it's not everything we want, but it's exactly what we need. And we give because God is blessed by that. And when he is blessed by that, he's going to bless your life. I'm not promising you that you're going to have all the material things you want if you give enough. What I'm telling you is when you are obedient to God, he is pleased with that and it changes your heart. <laughs> who he is. So we're moved to devotion to what God is doing, not giving to something we agree with. Right? That puts us at the center. When we give to something we agree with, we're at the center of that. When we give out of obedience and God is pleased by that, he is at the center of that. Amen? So give generously. Give generously, and we will bless others and God with that generously. Let's move on to verse 10. I could spend an hour on every one of these verses, but I'm not because I know you're hungry. Okay, Colossians 1.10. Filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When we get moved to devotion, it stirs something, us, stirs something up in us and we realize our eyes get opened. There's something bigger happening in this world than just the little world I live in. And we then get moved to the importance of, to the life-changing, death-defying, eternal, healing, powerful realization that God has a plan, and that plan is for me to be saved, and also that others would be saved because of me. That God wants to use you to be light in a world where there is very, very little light. 
that God has put a hope and a faith and a joy and a peace in your life so that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the hands move, the feet go, and other people see that and they get moved. And the word here is that we might get moved to urgency. That our eyes get open, we wake up in the morning, we realize I've got to get to work, not at my job where I need to clock in and other people are waiting for me and counting on me. I've got to get to work for Jesus today. (laughs) That's what he wants for you. We don't, we don't live to work. We work to live. You've got a job that you need to keep and do well to pay the bills, but you have a much higher calling on your life, and that is the mission of Jesus Christ, that all men, all women might know that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's, you are his plan A for that. That is your calling. That is what he wants for you. It's what he wants for the people in your life. But when we start thinking about urgency and being a prisoner for the Lord and bearing fruit and trying to please him and every good work and increasing in the knowledge, it can become very overwhelming. But here's what this means. Ephesians 4.1, Paul said it this way, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. God chose you to be his righteousness. <laughs> he died for you that you might be his righteousness, that you might be the fruit of his spirit, and that out of your life, the spirit of God flows and you are bearing fruit, not by your own effort, but because Jesus is in you. But because the Holy Spirit is alive in you, because the Holy Spirit is flowing through you, because you have found your place with him. We are moved to urgency by that. And if we're not, then we're not listening. We're not paying attention. We're just checking a box. And that's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is not just John 10.10, Jesus said it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have what? May have what? Life. And have it abundantly. (laughs) He wants so much more for you than just checking the box of church and going about your week. Hope you had a good morning. Have a nice life. He wants to flow through every bit of it. He wants you to be urgent about his business, not just your own business. And we can't be urgent about his business until we have a devotion to him and to each other. We stand up, we stand in, we stand out for God. Right? Verse 11. So we're, we're bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. 
This is where sometimes it gets not so fun because sometimes we experience things in this world that feel unbearable, they feel overwhelming, they feel like a prison, they feel like the enemy is encamped around you, and they are. But Jesus says, keep going. Strengthened with power according to his glorious might, not yours, his glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. It means when things don't go our way or things aren't as we would necessarily choose for them to be, or people make decisions that impact our lives, that we don't hold it against those people but we step into the light and the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God and say, God, I'm going to need you to get me through this before I kill somebody. (laughs) Right? And God's going to speak right back into your heart if you are genuinely, honestly seeking him. And he's going to say, their future is not your call. That's my call. But if you will trust me and you will hang on, I'm going to see you through this and not only give you life, but give you a life that is abundant because you're going to get through this and you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to look back and go, look what God did for me. It's the way God rigged the system. It's who he is. It's what he does for us. It's what he wants for you to hang on. We must have, we must have this movement to hold on to him. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are the branch gripping to the source of life. Why? So that we can bear fruit. Not our fruit, his fruit. We must be moved to hold on to Jesus. We must be moved by that. We keep going. James 1.4 even says, let your steadfastness or your endurance, let your steadfastness have its full effect. Why? So that you might be complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. This is not a spiritual character or standing necessarily with God. The word perfect here doesn't mean if you hang on to him, if you endure this, then you are going to be perfect in all your ways. What it means is if you will hang on to him, even in the storm, even in the trial, even in the chaos, even in the loss, if you hang on to Jesus, he will make you complete. He is working something out in you and it's not perfection that is our, we're not focused or lost in perfection, but instead is we become holy. God is moving and working in you to make you holy. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and I'm going to stand by this. God is far less concerned with your personal happiness than he is with your personal holiness. And he'll do whatever it takes to get you here, even if it costs you a little bit of happy. You with me? That's hard. (laughs) It's just hard. It's a hard way to live, but it is our reality. We must be moved to hold on. Why? Because God is not done. He is not done. Verse 12, 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. We are holding on so that we might give thanks and praise and pray to him and pray for others and say, Jesus, you are at work. Father, I trust you who has, because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Jesus Christ is enough. He has every quality and character necessary to overcome the pain and the hurt and the loss and the stuff in your life. He will see you through. Even if there are consequences and results of that pain, which drag on for a long time, he says, endure so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. I'm going to see you through. Why? Because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king of the universe. He has something so much greater for you than you ever could have planned for yourself. It's bigger, it's better, it's more beautiful. It's eternal. It's not earthly. It's not temporary. But for the rest of all eternity, we get to be in the presence of God. And he says, that's enough for you to hang on to this for just a little while longer. It's all temporary. We must be moved then to a righteousness that comes from him and not from us. Look, our, our current and even our past sins, they kink the hose to the enjoyment of life that God wants for you. Sin is what keeps us from knowing the full joy of who God is. Sin stops the flow in the hose of our lives, where we don't get to enjoy all that God truly wants for us. But what will not stop, never, ever, 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 ever stop, is your identity in Christ. You have future, present, and past sins that will kink that hose, but you can never stop the enemy can never stop that you as a born again child of God, buried and raised with Christ, you are one with him. And the enemy can't stop that. No matter how much trouble comes into your life, we must be moved to righteousness. But here's what the enemy does, right? His greatest weapon, his greatest tool, maybe his darkest most brilliant plan was to make you believe that you are more important than you really are. To make you believe that your righteousness is ever good enough. The enemy wants you to believe that you are more important than the people around you and that you have something to offer that they need. (laughs) That's nonsense. What people need 
is the saving blood and body and life of Jesus Christ. They may want something you have to offer and you may have something to offer, but they don't need it. It's a non-essential. Are you with me? What is essential is Jesus Christ to be glorified in them. What they need is to know that what makes you different is not your devotion or urgency or your rightness in the world. It's the righteousness of God in you. We must be moved to righteousness. We are longing, choosing, hoping that we could someday be like Christ, not be okay. Not even be better and not be good. But his strength is made perfect in our weakness so we get to step out of the way and let Jesus Christ step in and do a refining, healing, purifying, massive, freeing work through us by the might of his Holy Spirit as inheritors, as heirs of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we step out of the way and let him do his work through us, in us, for us, for others, it changes the way we see heaven and God and Jesus. It changes the way we see the world. It changes what we think is righteousness. Listen, Blaise Pascal said this, there are only two kinds of people. The righteous who think they are sinners and the sinners who think they are righteous. Pause there for just a minute and you be honest with God. Where am I? Who am I really? Whether you know it or not, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you as a Christian, as a child of God, you are the righteous person who knows yourself to be a sinner. You have been made righteous by Jesus Christ if you are a Christian, a child of God, a follower of His. Anything else? Anything that makes you special in your world? It means you think yourself righteous and it's really your sin that has the grip on your life because you think more highly of yourself than you ought. It doesn't make you a terrible person. It it just means you haven't been moved to righteousness by God. You just like the idea of being righteous. That's hard, right? I don't hate you. I'm not judging you. God didn't send me here to make you mad or miserable. God brought us here to make us holy. God brought us here to enjoy company and fellowship with him and with others so that we can see our eyes get open to to who he is and that we get to enjoy that. We must be moved to righteousness, not just pursue it. Verse 13. 
all of this, we get moved by all of this because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We once were lost. I once was blind. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now I am found. Now I see. Verse 14, in whom, Jesus, the beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. All of that, all of the moving, all of the devotion, urgency, righteousness, all of that should stir us to be ambassadors of God's grace in the world where we live. And it also means this. It means we need to forgive each other for wrongs that we have done to each other. And we need to go and ask for forgiveness from people that we have hurt particularly in the body of Christ. Why? Because nothing creates more division in the body of Jesus Christ than people allowing things and decisions and past hurts to build up, to fester, to stand in the way and keep us from knowing the full joy of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness might be the best weapon in our arsenal. It's the strongest, it's the strongest weapon that we have against the enemy, forgiving each other, allowing others to forgive us, going and asking them, will you forgive me? We don't have to go and say, now here's really what I meant to do. And, and so what I really was trying to accomplish and, and you know, really where I was going was, and I know you took it the wrong way, Spiritual stupidity, right? Arrogance. Instead, I hurt you with a decision I made or a thing I said, and I'm asking you to forgive me. I was wrong, period. Even if you thought you were right, who cares? All Jesus cares about is that you are offering that forgiveness and that they are offering it back to you. And then you stand and you say, I love you with the love of Christ. And I know you're not always gonna be able to forget this, but will you forgive me? Or I forgive you, it's done. Forgiveness is what this is all about. You had an ex-husband do you wrong? Forgive him. Set yourself free. You got fired from a job you thought you deserved to keep? Forgive them. You're the one that is going to get the raise and the promotion because Jesus is going to say, well done. You've been hurt by a church somewhere in the past and you're here because you couldn't stand it there? Forgive them. You know, people in our town, in our community, in our area that have been hurt by things that were done right here at the river, go and tell them, 
Will you forgive us? We're doing our best and it wasn't enough. Will you forgive us? Forgiveness is what's going to change the course of our church, your life, our future, the kingdom of God in this world. It's going to be forgiveness, not bigger, better, light stage music signage. (laughs) It's forgiveness. And people are going to take running leaps into that water because they can't wait to get in there. They're going to run to Jesus because they're going to see and hear and feel Jesus flowing out of us into their lives. Uh, I'll say this. Saying the words, I forgive you, but I can't forget what you've done, is just code for I don't forgive you. If you say, I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to forget. You haven't forgiven them at all. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He said, not only do I forgive you of your sin, I'm putting all of your past behind you. Psalm 119.103 says it this way, God separates our sin as far as the East is from the West. And they never touch. They never see each other. In fact, the West doesn't even know that the East exists. That's what God does with our sin. And I'm challenging you, me, us, we need to go back into some places in our life that are not altogether comfortable and we need to say, will you forgive me? The rest is on them. And then when people come to you and they say, will you forgive me? We're going to look them in the eye and say, it's done. Already forgot about it. It's the best thing I have to give you. It's good, right? These things should move us to experience the fullness of God, to experience His joy, to walk in His freedom, to live for Him. These are the things that get us there. Our mission as the church, Big C Church, and particularly here at the river, is to make disciples. And I would say what that looks like, in case you haven't gotten a clear picture of what making disciples looks like, it's you and me helping people in our lives take one step closer to Jesus. It's not about you teaching people to memorize scripture or how to read God's word and interpret that and help them discover their, uh, their, human, their hermeneutic and is that, you know, is that apologetic or not. It's not about any of that stuff. I don't know what that stuff means. Well, I kind of do. But I, that's not what we're learning. We want to help people take one step closer to Jesus.
That's what he's called us to do. That's why you're here this morning. So as the worship team comes up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you this very simple question. There, there are some things in your life between you and God, between you and others in this room, between the people that you love, maybe your children, maybe your, maybe your ex, maybe some step siblings, whoever. There are some things that you need to deal with this week and you need to go ask their forgiveness, even if you thought you were right. Because the things you thought about them and the way we talked about them and the things we said or the way we acted in response or the things it caused us to do toward other people in our lives, it hurt them because we were angry about that. You with me? It's very complicated. And so we go back to those people that have hurt us or made us angry and we say, will you forgive me? And let your heart be free. God will not do, he will not unleash his full power on us as a church until we make some things right with one another. And you're gonna go to sleep at night, not even realizing it, but now you've been told we're gonna fall asleep at night and we're gonna be the barriers to God's grace unloading on the river because we're not willing to forgive or we don't have the courage to go ask for forgiveness because I'm not ready. Well, then we're not ready for God to move. (laughs) This should be flooded with people who come and say, God, I'm not going to be a barrier. I'm not going to be a kink in in the hose of God's grace. Give me the courage to go seek forgiveness. That's the call this morning. For some of you, maybe you've heard this and you've never even asked Jesus, Jesus, I want to receive your forgiveness. Will you forgive me today? That's yours. It's yours. And it's free. And there's no righteousness you have to attain to get it. It's yours. I want to challenge you to come find one of our intercessors, one of our prayers. Come, make it right with God and with each other. Go to someone and just say, will you forgive me? Do not hold back. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would set some people free. God, I pray that you would do a work in people's lives that is refining this morning. God, I ask that you would give us the courage to step out in faith and to find our hope and our strength in you and that you would do something for us that is way overdue. God, heal us. Let us be forgivers. Move us to that urgency today. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.